What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 157 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer the question first. I'm not answering the question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then ask the question, how do we deal with the impending doom that is climate change? Paul... I don't know. Yes, Andy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, and I'm pretty bummed out about it. And that's what we're going to talk about. We, we're definitely not going to come out from this conversation being like, we've solved it. We have solved climate change. But hopefully we'll come out from the conversation with a little bit of how to deal with the stress that is the impending terrible well, climate change. Well, that's the problem, Paul, is that some very smart, intelligent, well-researched people have figured out what we need to do to solve climate change and just seems like most people don't want to listen and that's what i'm feeling bummed out about so i can't wait to work (laughs) through some stuff with you today paul because i need this (laughs) hopefully we get to some sort of conclusion then for you yeah some sort of some 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 solutions yeah we we'll see we'll see about that paul but you know what before we get all downtrodden couple of announcements to make. That's right. This coming weekend, the time is finally upon us. We're going to the Atlanta Veg Fest where we're doing our live podcast. And I have confirmation, Paul, that we are up first bright and early. 1030 in the morning is when our live podcast is going to be happening. So make sure you get there early. Make sure you get a good spot in the line because... From, from previous years, whenever I've like run outside to grab something last minute from the van and I see the line of people trying to get into this event, it is quite, quite long. So plan ahead, people. I'm, I'm kind of excited that it's at 1030, Andy, because at every other event that we've done, it's just weighed on my mind all day. And I'm like, oh, God, this is going to be so I'm so stressed out about this. It's not until 5 p.m. And now it's just get it out of the way early and then enjoy the rest of the day. I 100% agree with you on that because my panel, that panel that we posted the live recording of from Denver, all about food and body shaming, that was, I think, the last panel of the final day of this two-day event. And on that second day, I just... I, I don't know. I'm fine. Like I've, you know, I've been in a band that's played in front of thousands of people and I do a lot of public speaking and all that stuff, but is there's still like a healthy amount of nervousness before any live thing that we do. And when it's the end of the day, it just keeps getting compounded. And, and I like, my body's like, don't eat anything, don't eat anything. And I'm like, I need to eat something. And body's like, <laughs> but, but don't just don't do it. So I remember just being like starving, but the thought of eating anything just sounded so appealing to me and by the time I finished my presentation I was like give me all the corn dogs and <laughs> yeah I, I love it when we're first up in the day so I hope some, some people wake up grab that coffee or orange juice you know come down spend the morning with us yeah we'd love to we'd love to spend some time with you 
Yeah. And Paul, Mm -hmm. last week we said, hey, we think we're probably going to do a little bonus episode where we talk all about the food that I was eating in Portland. And guess what? We did that. We did that exact thing. In fact, we did it like moments after we recorded the last episode. So uh, if you want to hear about a half hour's worth of food talk, then you can just head over to our Patreon. Now, this is something that is free for everybody, regardless of if you are a patron or not. But we just don't want to throw those in our regular feed. So uh, if you go to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo, which is spelled B-E-A-R-D-O, you can just follow the link to the Patreon and you will see that's the currently the first thing that's posted up there. Or you can hit the free bonus tab to look at all the free bonus content that we put up there. So, yeah, it was fun because we I talked about dough donuts in the regular episode. But this is when I talk about uh, Fat Squatch and Virtuous Pie and Dinger's Deli and so many other places. Of course, Homegrown Smoker. So obviously, uh, yeah, give that a listen. Give that a listen. Yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun little episode to record. I love taunting you with delicious food, Paul. <laughs> so, Andy, speaking of speaking of exactly that thing, tell me what you've been having. I just did the Texas Veggie Fair in Dallas, which is an event that I always love to do. They do a really fantastic job putting that event together. And a place that I, I, I forget if I've mentioned them on the show before, but I have been there once last year. I had a brunch there and I thought it was good, but it, my mind wasn't blown by it. Um, but recently I've sort of been crisscrossing through Dallas a few times and I got to return to this place called V Eats, like V space Eats. And they're in Dallas. And now that I've had two dinnertime meals from them, I'm going to go ahead and say they're my favorite place to eat in Dallas. Whoa. Yeah, they do. They have like a pretty, you know, wide variety of foods. But I guess in general, you could you could call it comfort food is sort of the, the overall category that they fit in. And they do these amazing fried, I believe they're mushrooms of some kind, but they call them chick naan. <laughs> so they have like a fried nice. chick naan basket and fried chick naan sandwiches and all that stuff. The last time I was there... I got a like General Tso's chick naan dish over coconut rice, and it was it was just great. But this time I got this penne arrabbiata. I think I pronounced that correctly. Dish, <laughs> so good. It was just so good. So it was the the penne pasta in a spicy tomato sauce, some sausage, and the sausage. I believe they're making all of their own meats there. So it was some kind of interestingly textured seitan like it wasn't like a rolled up log shaped sausage it was almost like a like a slab of seitan sort of but it was a little stringy i don't know the flavor though was fantastic uh also a lot of shiitake mushrooms in there and they serve it over a pesto bed which is now my favorite type of bed (laughs) all of the flavors together it was so strong in the flavor department a lot of depth to all the flavors and just like an overall really filling meal also came with, you know, a side of bread and some butter. Can't go wrong with that. So that's V Eats in Dallas. And yeah, I, I feel like I will just always be recommending them to whenever people say, where should I eat in Dallas? Because um, everything I've had from them has either been good to mind-blowingly amazing. So um, strong, strong recommendation for V Eats in Dallas. I feel like interestingly textured is not necessarily a good way to describe food. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. That's true. Um, I don't know. Uniquely textured. It's something that threw me off, but in a surprising way, in a pleasing way. 
surprisingly textured <laughs> surprisingly textured i mean i don't know i don't think that's negative like you're used to seitan being textured a certain way and then you get it and you're like oh this is different <laughs> i feel like these are all ways that people will describe like their friends bands set after they played like yeah, yeah it, was, it was really interesting it was really different <laughs> looked like you were having a lot of fun yeah, up there yeah, no, no. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of Dallas, at the veg fe- at the veggie fair, at the Texas veggie fair, ran into a couple of beardos who came by the table to say, what's up, beardo? Paul, I'm getting real comfortable at saying beardo what's up in response. It's starting to feel very natural to me. We'll see how I do this weekend. <laughs> You're going to be put to the test. So <laughs> huge thank you to Tina, Jillian, Lauren, Mallory, Hunter, and Juliana for stopping by and saying hello. It's always nice. awesome to see beardos nice. in the wild. <laughs> the wild beardo. Yeah. Paul. Yes, Andy. I'm going to ask what you put in that beautiful mouth of yours. I see you put one word down on our little show notes here. I put down pasta because I've been to, I went to two Italian restaurants this weekend and I got the, the Italian restaurant special, the vegan Italian restaurant special, which is pasta and red sauce (laughs) at both of these places. And Mm -hmm. Andy, I... I, I just typically don't eat a lot of pasta, so I had more pasta this weekend than I think I've had in months, and my stomach is not happy about that. <laughs> oh, my stomach would be so happy about that. I feel like, yeah, I feel like I don't really eat all that much pasta, with the exception of mac and cheese, but I almost feel like mac and cheese is, like, in its own category. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think of mac mm-hmm. and cheese as pasta, even though that's, like, half of the dish is pasta. No, mac and cheese is on a, is on a whole other level. But it was certainly good pasta, but just so, so much pasta. Have you ever seen... Did, did you ever read that childhood book, Streganana, Andy, about no. that? It's just this woman that has this cauldron that produces an endless amount of pasta. That's what I felt like this weekend. And sounds like pasta. a dream come true. <laughs> all right so what do we got what do we got oh we have some follow-up andy what is yeah, this yeah you know i didn't know where to put this i don't think it's technically follow-up but i just really wanted to give a recommendation for the vegan vanguard podcast we we may have mentioned them on the show before they're only about 25 episodes deep right now but they're really doing a phenomenal phenomenal job over there and having like conversations that continue to make me think and sort of, you know, reshape how I think about veganism and and all sorts of related issues. But specifically, I wanted to give a plug for this interview that they did with friend of the show, Ramak and Nason, who I think that was, was that like episode 33, like way back in the day, we did the nonviolent communication episode and, and Ramak really kind of helped us through that shepherded us through that process of learning about nonviolent communication. And Ramal was on not to talk about that, but to talk about why vegans should stop celebrating India's beef ban. And mm. it was fascinating and enlightening. And I learned so much from this interview. And obviously Rama is such a, such an engaging, um, interviewee so it it was it was really great and other interesting topics you know the the interview talks about how you know you see the word ahimsa used in vegan circles so much uh irma points out how she's like i probably have 50 friends on facebook who put ahimsa as their middle name or their last name (laughs) and how it's sort of conflated with this non-violent 
way of living and this idea of compassion for all beings, but that it's like really misapplied in vegan circles and that that like ahimsa does actually allow for the slaughter of animals and just so many things that that I feel like I have not seen a lot of people speaking about and makes me want to educate myself more on. So uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but it's just a vegan Vanguard podcast. And yeah, I, I honestly just can't recommend that podcast enough overall. So give it a listen. I got to check that out. Yeah, I think I think you would like that interview, Paul. Um, I, I was just sort of sitting there like with my mouth open going like, wow, I just I said no idea. I had no idea. <laughs> That's awesome. And, yeah, That's really you know, cool. the, she also talks about sort of this this like uh, f- almost fetishization of like Buddhism and Hinduism and Jainism that that comes in in vegan circles and uh, really just sort of destroyed a lot of the the preconceived notions that I think a lot of people will have about those those religions and their relationship to veganism. So, uh, yeah, give it a listen. That's awesome. That's very cool. So with that being said, let's move on to this first news story. Andy, take Andy, guide me through this, please. Yes, our first, our first and only news story. Paul, this one's blown up the internet. We've gotten a few, a few people slid into our DMs asking us to talk <laughs> about this one. So here we go. This is coming to us from October 31st, 2018, from The Guardian. Waitrose magazine editor quits after joke about killing vegans. Yikes. Yeah. So uh, Waitrose, wait Rose, it's like wait and Rose in one word. I don't know. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> it's a British supermarket chain uh, that's relatively popular. They're not as huge as like Tesco or something, but they do have 352 locations. And apparently they also have their own food magazine that people seem to enjoy and sort of an extension of their brand. So the editor in question is someone named William Sitwell. And let me read a little bit from this article. Celine Nelson, who is a vegan, had pitched Sitwell a, quote, plant-based meal series looking at meat-free dishes. In comments first reported by BuzzFeed News, Sitwell replied, Hi, Celine. And I, I should say I did read um, Celine did post the exact email that was sent, and it was very, very professional, very just, you know, I'm reaching out. This is a proposed series that I, I would like to make a regular thing. Uh, veganism is becoming more popular. Here are other publications that have done similar things. So very, very polite, professional kind of introductory email from Celine Nelson here. And Sitwell replied, hi, Celine. Thanks for this. How about a series on killing vegans one by one? Ways to trap them, how to interrogate them properly, expose their hypocrisy, force feed them meat, make them eat steak and drink red wine. Jeez. Yeah, Paul, um, d- would you read that and go, oh, that was a funny joke? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Like, it seems like it seems to me as though this person had just had some heated argument with a vegan and then immediately went received this email and wrote this thing because it seems like a, a very strange response to what you described as a professional email. Yeah, it's 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 truly bizarre. It's truly bizarre. So uh, eventually, I guess Celine decided to to post this, and the internet exploded, and there was a lot of anger over this, even even from non vegans, and and Sitwell promptly resigned. And I was surprised at that because, 
I mean, you and I have talked about how that in general, whenever someone like lashes out against vegans because veganism is not the dominant dominant ideology, that even if it's in ill taste or not like the best way to conduct oneself, most people, the vast majority of people will still be like, yeah, we'll screw those vegans. Um, so I didn't feel like this would yeah. be the type of thing that would cause someone to lose their job, but it certainly did. It certainly did. And so now there's like this huge debate over whether um, Sitwell should have lost his job or not. So uh, he did post an apology. He said, I love and respect people of all appetites, be they vegan, vegetarian, or meat eaters, which I show week in, week out through my writing, editing, and broadcasting. I apologize profusely to anyone who has been offended. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about how the phrase, I apologize to anyone who has been offended, is never a helpful phrase. It sort of, it removes (laughs) your culpability. It removes your part in the offense instead of saying, I apologize to anyone that, like, who I offended. uh, Instead of, like, someone else else went and got offended on the things that I said, but. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. Um, Paul, I don't know, this thing is, like, really interesting. I feel like there's, like, a a lot of different kind of ins and outs to this. So I guess my first question for you is, do you think that, this email is a job losing worthy offense. Well, Andy, I was also I was also going to say quickly. Even the phrase because you said, "Oh, what uh, I apologize to anyone who I offended." Even that, it kind of is twisting it so that it it frames it as though what I said was okay up until I offended someone mm-hmm. with it. Instead of saying, you know, instead of saying the thing that I said was the bad yeah. thing, not the fact that people got offended about it. But but. Well, actually, since we're since we're actually picking that apology apart, I also just like the line. I love and respect people of all appetites, be they vegan, vegetarian, et cetera, et cetera. It reminds me of someone when someone says, "I love animals," and then they eat a hamburger. You know, you're like, "Ah, yeah. Well, you know, maybe maybe those words don't quite line up with your actions. Like, you know, someone that says they love vegans, but then their response their response to like a random stranger that they've never met making a professional inquiry is. How about we write about killing vegans one by one? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that does not equate. I love and respect people of all appetites. Yeah, yeah. So so let me answer your actual question now, Andy. Which was is this a is this a job ending response? So I think here's here's where I'm falling on this right now, Andy. I don't think that the the fact that it was specifically about vegans i think is the job ending thing i just think the general unprofessionalness and also weirdly aggressive nature of it i think that is the job ending kind of criteria that was met because you know it's, it, that i'm sure that that company doesn't want someone who's who's you know base response to a to a uh, an inquiry, which I'm sure they're getting regularly, is one that is this aggressive and unprofessional. So I think that that aspect of it is is the career ending portion piece of it, and not necessarily the fact that it was specifically about vegans. I think I I think that I can agree with that. Um, I you know we can talk about the the vegan specific aspects of it, but yeah, even even removing that. You know, think about the power dynamics of this person who's been an editor of this magazine for, I, I believe, 20 years, like a really long time, 
clearly holds uh, you know a lot of power over anyone that's trying to inquire about a position at their magazine or, or pitching a freelance you know a monthly article or whatever it might be and for that person to just really just mock someone that's trying to one just sort of trying to make a living was very polite in in her initial approach and like it's kind of just like gross display of power because like you couldn't imagine a regular like a cashier at Waitrose right like if someone was like do you know where the the vegan burgers are and they're like actually i know how to kill vegans one by one you know like there's no <laughs> way that would be tolerated like that sort of power dynamic yeah. but because this is like a very high up uh at least in terms of this little universe powerful man uh he feels like he can just mock and belittle people and and yeah, veganism aside, it's just, that's just gross. And why would you want why would you want that person working for you, let alone representing your magazine? Apparently, this person is someone that's been a judge on Top Chef and has been on some other TV shows and hosts podcasts. And like, like, why would you want this person to have any sort of clout or power if this is how they treat those? Like, it's it's like punching down to such a degree that is just disgusting and and so for that yeah i agree i don't think you know i I don't know i don't think that people shouldn't be able to come back from from making a mistake or something but this was like a malicious attack on someone and celine nelson posted her response to that email and it was just like like Hey, William, thanks for your interesting reply. Uh, you know, just like really like she can't be like, well, f- well, screw you. You know, like what a horrible, yeah. disgusting reply. It's like she has to play the game and, oh, well, it's an interesting reply. I'd be interested. She's you know, something along the lines of like, I'd be interested in exploring, you know, why people have hostile reactions to vegans. And clearly you have some thoughts on that. And maybe we could have a dialogue or, you know, like still has to maintain that that sort of public decorum. Mm-hmm. And you're just like. Ugh. Like it's so like why you know it's just like when someone's in like a customer service position and they have to be nice to people who are being very rude to them, or like when when someone like tries to flirt with a service worker and it's like I can't tell you to screw off, dude, because it's my job and I have bills to pay, but I, I'm sort of being held captive in this position, and and yeah. sit well totally took advantage of that like basically backed backed uh, nelson into a corner and was like i'm gonna be a total jerk to you and you can either just pretend like i wasn't a total asshole uh or you can just not make the money that you thought you're gonna make working here like uh, it's just it's disgusting and no this guy should not have his position yeah yeah so okay so that was the, all those thoughts were like removing the vegan aspect of it but like let's put the vegan aspect into it and sort of talk about that specifically um you know, there's there's like a wide variety of responses out there. Um, I saw a Twitter user who said this. I have great sympathy for William Sitwell. It was a stupid email, but should not be a career ender. Vegans are not a race or a gender or a sexual orientation or a differently abled group. They just choose to eat plants. You should be able to take the piss and not lose your job. And, and this, there's a lot of responses like this. It was like this was just someone making a joke or a bad joke. And they shouldn't lose their job, and vegans should be able to to take it. And I don't know. It's interesting because I feel like his his. I don't disagree. Like we're not a race or a gender or some sort of 
oppressed minority necessarily, even mm-hmm. though we are not the dominant, dominant ideology. And I guess numbers wise, we are a minority in that respect. But yeah, we're not like a historically oppressed group in the way that you would think like so many others are. Um, but like does mocking vegans by extension mock veganism, which is like which would be making light of animal suffering and, and the, the quest for animal liberation? I think maybe the answer is yes, but I still don't think that that alone is an egregious enough offense to warrant a lot like a job loss. Because, I mean, people make fun of vegans and veganism all the time. And you could say by extension, that is that is making fun of something that is an incredibly serious and dire and terrible situation that's going on. So I, I still I still don't think that making fun of vegans i mean i use the word i use the phrase making fun of but this definitely goes beyond making fun of it's like gross and intense so again i i still i think i still feel the same way where it's not the vegan like this twitter user said it's not the like veganism is not the thing that caused the the career end i think it was just the the overall tone and aggressive nature of the the email well that's not what the twitter user said but i do agree with them in that sense that veganism is not the making fun of veganism is not the career ender yeah i mean because a a lot of people are defending and saying well this was just a joke even if maybe if it was in bad taste that was said in private and has been made public and now all of a sudden it's a big thing and uh, like i said in the beginning i don't agree that it's a joke like, I don't think anyone would read that and be like, you know, if it was something that was like a response that was, why don't we ask where vegans get their protein or, you know, I don't know, something that's like playing off a trope of veganism or something like that. Mm-hmm. But this was just like, hey, total stranger, let me be incredibly aggressive to you right now. And yeah. uh, and so, like, if it was a joke, it wasn't funny, but it, it also wasn't it wasn't like. You know, like you might be best friends with someone and you have your own sort of brand of humor with them. And maybe there's certain jokes that you would make with them that you're like, okay, this is not something that I would like broadcast publicly, but my friend understands where I'm coming from with this, or we both have a dark sense of humor. And then that like group chat got posted somewhere. You know, it's not like people are making it out like it's that kind of thing. And it's not that kind of thing. It's someone responding to a total stranger in a professional setting being incredibly aggressive and dismissive. So, yeah, it's gross. And I'm I'm glad he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think if 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 we take out the vegan aspect of it, like we've been saying, Andy, it just this is not I, I think that if you described what he did out of context, like out of the vegan context to, to someone that was in a, in like a business setting, I think most people would be like, yeah, we don't want that person responding to our emails. We don't want that person on our team. So just putting in the vegan, the vegan nature of it shouldn't change that. Yeah. Yeah. And actually also interesting to know is that uh, Waitrose as a, as a supermarket just launched or is, is about to launch uh, an extended like vegan and vegetarian line of like vegan meats and like all that stuff. And so it's like, okay, yeah, we might not be your main customer, but your, your editor is about to attack, you know, the, the customers of a specific new line that you're about to launch or you had just launched. And yeah, I mean, I think people, a lot of people are saying, Oh, this is a free speech issue. And I don't know, it's not like as a business person, why would you want someone representing your brand that has open disdain for the people you're about to try and get money from or try to get money from? 
Yeah. Yeah. And even it's, it's not like he's not being sued for the, for say, at least as far as I know, he's not being sued for saying these things. It's not like he can't say he, he, he is allowed to say these things, but the company is also allowed to be like, no, this is not how we want to be represented. So peace. Yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, freedom of speech is not freedom from consequences of the things that you say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I thought I had one more thing to say, but nope. All right, Paul. You know what? I feel like it's rare that we definitively come down on something, but I'm just like, screw this guy. Like, he he should not have any power (laughs) over anyone. You know, like seeing responses like that, I'm like, I would hate to be this person's employee or someone that had to work under him for whatever circumstance. So, yeah, good riddance. Good freaking riddance. However... I have nothing but mm-hmm. positive things to say about all the wonderful people that we're about to thank right now, Paul. All these yeah. people have decided to throw at least $1 or more our way every month via our Patreon. And just want to give a huge thank you to Katie B. Ryan S. And Breezy D. Breezy D. Great name. Breezy D. Great name. Great name. Yeah. So thank you to everyone that's doing that. Everyone that's doing that is helping to fund our Patreon, which helps us uh, make this podcast more sustainable in the long run for us personally and also more accessible. Oh, Paul, you know, I forgot to mention this. A few, like two episodes ago, we put out the call saying that we were looking for a new person to help transcribe our episodes. Mm-hmm. And we, we've we gotten, at least in terms of our podcast, an overwhelming response from many people. And uh we have not had time to go through every single email yet and get back to every single person. But if you did send us an email, just know um, we're going to get back to you soon. We're going to get this all ironed out. We're like really excited to get back on the transcription train to make the podcast more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing. So um, thank you to everyone that's reached out so far because we're we're so pleased to know that so many people are willing to help out. Yeah, it was truly a heartwarming response that yeah, like you said, Andy, so many people reached out and I think I expected, you know, one or two people to be like, oh, yeah, I can do this. And we got so many and it is like an overwhelming amount. And so, so yeah, thank you. And we are we are 100 percent not ignoring you. So sorry that we have not gotten back yet, but but we really, yeah. really do appreciate it. Yeah. And it's, you know, some of the responses are people are like I'm a professional transcriber and some people are like, I've never done this, but I really like the podcast and I can't financially support but I'd be I'd be happy to transcribe an episode once a month or something like that. So I don't know. It feels really nice to have this sort of this this um, community that, that's willing to help out. And and we really do appreciate it. So uh, anyway, if you want to get in on that Patreon action, you can head to thebeardedvegans.com slash Beardo. It's B-E-A-R-D-O. And anyone that pledges no matter you know even if it's just a dollar you get access to the feed that's where we put the bonus episodes and a couple other little goodies every now and then and if you pledge at higher levels you can get stickers and buttons and shirts and all that good stuff uh, if you pledge at the ten dollar more a month level you actually get early access to episodes and paul you know we posted our live episode with vegan warrior princesses attack we posted that a day early because we want to be on their release schedule they release on tuesdays so if you're listening and you're like, that was so cool to get that episode a day early, <laughs> you could have that experience every single week um, by pledging at that level. And usually, usually we get those up on Sunday at some point uh, or Monday, but usually it's about three days early when our lives aren't in total chaos as they are at this very mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. So, 
uh, yeah, if you like that <laughs> feeling, you like that early Christmas present vibe, then uh, just head over to thebeardvegans.com slash Beardo. Speaking of total chaos, I am currently recording this in a empty room in my new apartment that I literally just moved into. There's no zero boxes unpacked. It's just boxes <laughs> strewn everywhere. I'm in an empty room right now recording this. <laughs> I am sitting behind a Home Depot in Tampa, Florida, and hoping this conversation ends in time to go meet up with a beardo who hit me up and said, let's do an escape room. And I said, hell, hell yeah, I want to do an escape room. So... You know, I'm in my van, I'm sweaty, and I'm feeling <laughs> like a hot mess, but <laughs> it's going to be a good day. All right, Andy, let's move on into this main discussion. All right, let's do this, Paul. A lot of people have been emailing us to get our thoughts on this thing, and at first I was like, I don't know if I really have all that much to say about it. Like, climate change is bad, and what more do you want us to say? But then... This sort of this like overall sense of dread started to to fill me, and I, I don't know. It's kind of like tainting my my perception of the world right now, and like what the future is going to look like. So mm-hmm. uh, let's let's lay this out for everybody. What are we talking about for those that have missed these these big old news stories coming across their feed? So I would I would guess that most people are are aware that there is an issue surrounding the climate, and. Going all going all the way back to Al Gore bringing it bringing it to light in whatever that was two thousand eight or seven or whatever, but I think that there have been very recent developments, and this is kind of what I've heard a lot of people talking about: vegans, non-vegans, everyone. And so I'm going to read a little bit from this New York Times article just to highlight this very recent development. So this was a New York Times article from October seventh, so less than a month ago is when all this came out. Major climate report describes a strong risk of crisis as early as 2040. A landmark report from the United Nations Scientific Panel on Climate Change paints a far more dire picture of the immediate consequences of climate change than previously thought and says that avoiding the damage requires transforming the world economy at a speed and scale that has, quote, no documented historical precedent. The report, issued on Monday by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, a group of scientists convened by the United Nations to guide world leaders, describes a world of worsening food shortages and wildfires and a mass die-off of coral reefs as soon as 2040, a period well within the lifetime of much of the global population. The authors found that if greenhouse gas emissions continue at the current rate, the atmosphere will warm up by as much as 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels by 2040, inundating coastlines and intensifying droughts and poverty. Avoiding the most serious damage requires transforming the world economy within just a few years, said the authors, who estimate that the damage would come at a cost of $54 trillion. But while they conclude that it is technically possible to achieve the rapid changes required to avoid 2.7 degrees of warming, they concede that it may be politically unlikely. So that's the that's the thing. This this raising 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit by 2040, that is the, the, the issue that has been going around that people have been talking about. We're saying, oh, we have 20 years basically before there's this this irreversible uh, environmental damage and that's what's going around Andy it seems like you've gotten something else about what like why what is what is 2.7 degrees why does that make any difference 
So hit me with that. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to, to paint a picture of like what this means because I think a lot of people hear like, oh, two degrees Celsius, that doesn't seem like all that much. Like my the temperature during the day fluctuates by more degrees than that, and mm-hmm. I'm totally fine and I can survive and the oceans haven't you know, risen and consumed us all. So um, here's an article from PopSci, which actually came out February 22nd before a lot of this news came out. But it says, what happens if Earth gets two degrees Celsius warmer? And if we warm by two degrees, the world will be a lot drier, which will impact economies, agriculture, infrastructure, and weather patterns. Rising temperatures will damage ecosystems and species that cannot adapt, including those in coral reefs and Arctic areas. Low-lying coastal regions and small islands worldwide are at a risk of disappearing as sea levels rise to the Greenland ice sheet and Arctic ice melting at continuously faster rates. Two degrees Celsius could determine the existence of whole nations. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, an organization that advises governments on the causes and impacts of climate change, is now studying what the world would be like if average temperatures rise by 3 degrees, 4 degrees, or higher. It could lead to substantial species extinctions, large risks to global and regional food security, and an inability to work outside and live in some areas of the world. So, it just seems so dire to me paul and this so the the thing is about all of this news i think that like old me like maybe even me of like a year ago two years ago would see this information and and like advocate activist me would go wow this is horrible but you know maybe this can be the wake-up call maybe this can trigger the change that we need in this world and we can use this as another talking point on why people should go vegan and change our lives but that that thing that you read which was that this change requires a speed and scale that has quote no documented historic precedent um to me that's just really depressing and it makes me feel like nothing that we do like can change this because even though you and I have had so many conversations about, you know, how do we deal with these big scale, these large scale issues that seem outside of our grasp and what can we do? And usually my conclusion at least is keep my head down, keep doing the work, keep talking to people on why they should go vegan, support, you know, corporate campaigns and and, and like all the stuff that you can do. Like you can't, lose yourself into the nihilism of being like it's nothing matters nothing works you just sort of have to do the best you can to to mitigate the you know the impending doom that we're facing but this kind of news it's i don't know normally i guess it would almost be motivating to work harder but lately this kind of news makes me feel like i'm like why even care like why do anything because as much as we're all about advocating for individual change, what all these articles indicate is this is much bigger than just like a huge percentage of the population going vegan or reducing their meat consumption. Like this requires governmental change. This requires systemic change. This requires a change to our economy. Uh, certainly doesn't feel like capitalism fits into uh, reducing or reversing or, or stagnating the, the rate of global warming. And it's one of those things that just feels like it's almost impossible for it to change. Uh, and I'm hoping that you, my my beacon of positivity in this dark, dark world, can change my mind about that. But like right now, I'm just like, why plan? Why plan for a future? 
why if if within 12 years this horrible stuff can happen why why should i save why should i try to grow my business why should i work on activism if it just feels like it's this inevitable thing like should i just retreat into myself into spending time with friends and family while we still have some decent time on this planet because it you know it feels like we're already feeling the effects like the rates of storms of these huge catastrophic storms are increasing it feels hotter i don't know if that's just part of the natural cycle but everything just feels worse paul and i i just am at this point where i'm like should i just say screw it like what can i do well, Andy, I'll say this much. If, if it's any solace, you are certainly not alone in feeling this. And, and I do want to, you know, talk about what we can do and talk about how, how we handle this information. But I just want to read quickly from this other article, just because it relates so, so perfectly to what you were just bringing up. This article from, I, I found a lot of articles, Andy, from today. Like there are, there are, I mean, this is, it makes sense. This is such like a, a, a prominent issue that's happening right now, but I found a lot of issues that were like published three hours ago. And I was like, oh, cool. Very current November 4th. So this one was called climate anxiety. A strain of emotional stress is on the rise. And let me just read a little bit from this. In his practice in Bangor, psychologist Will Hafford is seeing something new in his patients, what he terms climate anxiety. Centered around the issue of climate change, it's a problem that hovers over more typical reasons people seek therapy, and it leads to dread, grief, and a questioning of one of the most basic and hopeful of human actions. Did I make a mistake choosing to have children? Is a common refrain among clients, Hafford said. There are other names for this emerging branch of mental health. Solestade... Oh, boy. Solastalgia? Solastalgia? Solastalgia. Solastalgia. I think, yeah. Solastalgia is one, a term coined by Australian philosopher Glenn Albrecht to describe a sort of homesickness that happens when one is still at home, but that home is under pressure from development and climate change. It's mourning for the future and an existential dread overlaid with helplessness. It's been part of the national conversation for a few years, but Hafford and other mental health professionals say climate anxiety is on the rise, particularly as people grapple with increasingly bad news about the planet's future. And a little later on in the article, it just mentioned this one activist, Kim Simmons, who is a teacher at the University of Southern Maine. And I thought that this was kind of nice. She said, activism gives people a sense of agency, Simmons said, a sense of efficacy. And one of the biggest challenges of climate activism is that we can't see the changes we're making. It feels so David and Goliath. When her children were younger, she took them to political actions and engaged them in the kinds of sustainability exercises, recycling, composting, moving away from plastics, and so forth. They made the family feel better, like we're making a dent. But as the news piles up, including Donald Trump's announcement intention, including Donald Trump's announced intention to withdraw the United States from the Paris Accord in 2020, effectively breaking a worldwide pact to fight climate change, feeling like she is making a dent gets harder. How do we parent under these circumstances, she said. So I don't know, Andy. I, I feel like even though that last bit from Kim Simmons was not super positive, I feel like we can still take something out of it that, you know, we can continue to work on these things. And working on these things is, is, is I think, a way to maintain the hopefulness because I think once you do kind of say, I'm get, like, what's the point of even doing this? I'm I'm just not going to do it at all. I feel like there's no way to then feel good about it. And, and I say that because 
I'm sure there are people out there who, well, there are plenty of people out there that, that don't have a tremendous amount of empathy and can just say, okay, I'm just not going to do anything about this. And I'm just going to do things that make me feel good. But Andy, I don't think that you or I, or probably many of our listeners are those people that can truly just give up doing things and feel good about ourselves and, and be truly, I would, I would say selfish in that way of saying, well, things suck. So I'm just going to live for me. Like, I don't think Andy, I don't think we're wired to, to, to be able to feel that way. And because of that, I don't think we can give up trying to make changes about this issue and, and other issues as well. So I don't know, this isn't necessarily an answer because it's something that we are already doing, which is not necessarily, I, Andy, I don't think for you or I, this is our, this is the, the environmental issues have, has been the, the prominent issue that we talk about, but we still definitely are aware of it and, and we feel its effects. So I don't know, maybe this is something that we need to make more prominent. And when you were, t when you were mentioned, when you were talking before about how, you know, this has always been environmental issues has always been the tool in the toolbox for our vegan advocacy. And at least for me, it's always been something that, you know, it's like, I might throw it out there like, oh, and also this is good for the environment. And, and I might throw it in as an aside, but maybe this needs to be put more in the forefront and, and I don't think that even necessarily betrays the animal ethics of it, because if the environmental issue is going to lead to extinction of animals, it's certainly very tied into the animal ethics of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but to back it up, uh, living selfishly sounds kind of nice right now. Like, Andy, like I, you know, when I talk about that, I, I don't. It, it wouldn't mean like not being vegan anymore or not trying to act in accordance with my own ethics anymore. But it's almost it's it's almost like, well, what is what is there other than enjoying life right now? Like, if if we're in the end of times, if this is the end of days. And my ability to, you know, scoot around the country and live in my van that doesn't have a lot of temperature control and and do fun things is while also being an activist is like coming to an end. Um, and, you know, we talk about the the importance of self-care like we did in that last live episode. And it's like, is that like the ultimate self-care to, to not burden ourselves with with this, this, all this sort of dread and in feeling of impending doom and feeling like why, you know, they're telling me I should save this amount of money by, you know, 60 years old for retirement, but we probably won't be alive or the world we live in will be so drastically different. And is it not like the most compassionate thing that we could do for ourselves to just not burden ourselves with that feeling like we have to be the ones to change something if it feels like it just can't change? Well, then why would you even stay vegan then? Because you said, you said like, oh, of course I would still be vegan, but, but why, why? Because I, I, I wouldn't want to do something that betrays my ethics. Like I, I wouldn't stop caring about animals all of a sudden, but, but trying to get like others to wake up and, and change almost feels like futile. So uh, that's why I would still be like, I wouldn't be like, oh, nothing matters. So let me go start robbing everybody and assaulting people and doing all these other things that I deem unethical. Purge. Um, like I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to increase the harm that that I'm doing in this world. 
but it also just kind of feels like from like an activism perspective um I don't know. It just makes it makes me feel it's not quite nihilistic because I feel like I would still have some kind of code of ethics there. But but like some sort of nihilism is sort of feels like what's what's creeping in more so than this desire to be like, I got to hit the streets and do this stuff. It's just like, I don't know, maybe I should spend all my money on mini golf. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is an indication that we do need to shift. I mean, not not necessarily everybody, but that we do need to shift more of our focus to the environmental stuff or, or yeah, like becoming more environmental activists than animal activists. And, and that could give, you know, that could be the relief that you need is that because right now I feel like we don't at least, okay. I'm, I can only speak for myself, but I, you know, I, I try to recycle whenever I can. And I try to say no, thank you to plastic straws whenever I can. But for the most part, my environmental activism quote, I put that in quote in air quotes, my environmental activism is just me saying to myself, well, I'm, I'm vegan. So I'm doing a great, like I'm doing a great job of of this. And I don't necessarily (laughs) advocate for that. And, and I don't use the, like, like I was mentioning before, bringing up the environmental issues is usually just an aside. So I don't know, at least for, I can only speak for myself, but at least for me, maybe this is an indication that I need to start talking about that more. And that needs to start being more in the forefront because we don't, Andy, we don't talk about, uh, again, I'm not with you all the time, but we don't talk about it that much. And I'm thinking maybe it can make you feel worse if you're like, Oh, I know that this is an issue and I'm doing a tiny bit to help it. I mean, we're we're already vegan and I think that is that is very good, but we're not really advocating for it necessarily. So, is it is it I guess my my question to you is is it more difficult to be in this little gray area where you're like kind of doing something but not really doing something about it versus going full into it or going full the opposite way like you were saying the not not necessarily the nihilism but just saying f screw it like i'm not going to do anything about this anymore like is it more difficult to be in this middle area and do we need to push ourselves to one end um i i don't know i i guess i think you're probably on to something there and i don't know i mean i guess it makes me wonder what does pushing oneself to one end does to the, like the more activist side of things like was that entail? Cause we had our discussion about, you know, should, should activism be a mandatory part of veganism? And we got so weighed down in just defining what activism is, you know? So when you say push myself to the further end of the spectrum and I'm like, okay, I guess that means going out and talking to the public and leafleting and like being out there, but I, I don't know, like, like that stuff, I feel like makes me feel like I'm doing a thing because I'm physically completing tasks and having conversations, but I don't know that it's more powerful or more effective than, than other things that we could do. And, you know, we sort of, I don't know, settle on, but like, I would say that like this podcast is some form of activism, 
you know, we know that people have gone vegan because of this podcast. We know that people have said that this podcast makes it much easier for them to stay vegan or motivate them to sort of renew their their pledge to to veganism uh, and that we sort of help create a sense of community and all of these things. And like is, you know, if it's not a form of activism that I feel like I can do continually and perpetually at some some amount of regular interval and it's just going to burn me out, like doing a lot of quote unquote street activism has. Um, I don't know. Did, it, am I feeling like I have to push myself to do something that is maybe not where I am the most effective in this movement? I mean, if it's going to, if it's going to make you feel better about that, I think that 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 would be a good thing. Even if you might not be as effective talking about it, if it's going to make you feel better, I would say that that is, uh, that would be a good thing to do. And, and, and I don't necessarily mean, cause you were saying going out, doing leafleting, protesting, whatever stuff like that. Again, I think it, it still falls under this category of how we talk about veganism, where it's like, find your thing, do the thing that, that, that you are good at, or that makes you most comfortable to, or that you're able to do. And, I still think that applies with what I'm saying. It just becoming more active in some sense, becoming more active in your way. I, I don't know. I just, I feel like when you sit in this middle spot where you're, you know that this is an issue and you're like, oh, I'm kind of doing a little bit about this, but I know that I could be doing more about this. I also could be doing nothing about it. I, this is and this is based on no psychological backing, but I feel like that could create turmoil within you, where it's like it, there's conflict within you that's saying, "I know this is a bigger issue than how I'm handling it," and I think that that could lead to this stress. I could, I think that could lead to part of this stress. Obviously, you're not the one that's creating this stress on your own because this is not this global climate change is not dependent on you as a single person, but. I think that you could be you could possibly be creating more stress for yourself if you just kind of take a, a, a like dipping your foot in rather than just jumping into it. Well, Paul, in college I minored in creating more stress for myself than necessary. <laughs> so it's <laughs> what I do best. Uh, more, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, than stressessary. And you like that? that? Yeah, I mean, again, you're you're onto something there, and I feel like this news that we've received should sort of be this wake up call that, yes, maybe this is something we care about, but we need to treat this with so much urgency, and it almost conflicts with the advice that I feel like we've given people in the past in in terms of advocacy and self care and finding a pace that that works for us. And I remember in the live episode specifically, you know, I, I talked about how. Choose, picking and choosing your battles can be a form of advocacy or it can be an extension of your advocacy because it's a, a marathon, not a sprint. And that like we need people that are great activists for their whole lifetime, not just like two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe I've been Callie that said that it's it's like a marathon that you're sprinting, which <laughs> I feel like that's probably much more accurate. And so it's like, OK, maybe this does demand that sprint speed. But is that going to burn me out in three or four years? But if we only have 12 years, then maybe we should just be pushing everyone to burn themselves out in three or four years. And then we can just have this you know, nihilistic dance party for the last couple of years as we're all just like burnt out husks of human beings that tried our best, but still ultimately failed. And also physically uh, burnt by the, ra- the rising temperatures. <laughs> exactly. 
So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that you are probably correct that me pushing myself to do more activism, things that feel more like activism than making a podcast or, you know, making vegan messageware to help aid others in their activism, like something that feels more like my, you know, I, I'm putting my my skills to use or I'm I'm getting out there and helping people. I don't know, whatever it might be. Uh, not that that's the only form of activism, far from it, but I think that you're probably right that doing that might make me feel less hopeless in this whole situation. Uh, maybe not even hopeless. Maybe it would make me feel less helpless. Yeah. You know, like maybe I would still feel kind of hopeless, but feel like, well, you know what? I'm going down swinging, and if this is if this is happening, then it's not going to be because of me. It's going to be in spite of me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a very noble position to take. But if and if enough but if enough people can do that, then I think then we will get change. And and I think if if everyone goes in the opposite direction and says, Well, screw it, then then there's no chance of there being any change, you know? I mean, uh you miss every shot you don't take. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky, Michael Wayne Gretzky, Scott. Gretzky, Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean you're right you're right about that. Like you you might you might miss a shot, but you guarantee that you won't make the shot if you don't even take the shot. That whole sort of yeah. attitude. Aim, aim for the stars. Aim for the moon. You might land in the stars or whatever, you know, whatever your cliche of choice mm-hmm. might be there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't think, I don't think that's a bad way to look at it. As appealing as it is to feel like maybe I should just, like, plug back into the Matrix, you know, not like, again, not going, like, full in the opposite direction of just, like, uh, not being vegan or shut up. Someone just honked a horn, <laughs> you know, like not going like full, full steam in the other direction in terms of like not being vegan or engaging any other unethical activities. But, um, like that is appealing, but I guess in the long run, it would feel like I was kind of betraying my own ethics if I wasn't making some effort regardless of what it is or how much further I'd feel like I could push myself before I just totally want to curl up in a ball uh, in a dark hole and bury myself in dirt and die. Um, <laughs> I think that that probably is uh, a healthier way to to process this news. Yeah. I, I don't know. This it's just this this talking about this really makes me feel like I want to shift some of my focus. Obviously, the like not saying I'm not vegan for the animals, not doing that, but shifting it also to, to, cause when people, Andy, when people ask me, Oh, why are you vegan? They're like, Oh, is it for the health? Is it for the environment, for the animals? I usually say, Oh, it's 99% animals. And then 0.5% environment, 0.5% health type thing. That's my next t-shirt actually. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe I need to shift that. So it's, you know, 50%, environment 50% animals or, or something like that. Like maybe I, this is making me think that I personally need to need to start pushing the environment thing a little bit more. And I don't know. One thing that I keep coming back to though, is it's, it's doing environmental activism is, is so, I don't, it's weird to me because let me see if I can phrase this. It's weird to me because it's so both disconnected from like your average everyday person 
but also so very connected to the the human population as a whole. And what what I mean by that is it almost seems like like if I'm doing anti-racist work or if I'm doing anti-sexist work, it's like I there there are the people here that are being affected by this and I could be like how can, you know, it's like what what should I do? What can I do to help this? But with the with the environmental stuff, it's just so it's just so big and it feels like it's not it's not connected to any individual person so which is i think a big reason why many people can ignore it so easily because they're like oh this is just this giant massive thing and i don't really need to worry about that because it's bigger than me it's not affecting a a specific group of people or it's not affecting an specific individuals you know so i don't know i i always struggle with that a little bit in thinking about doing in in thinking about this where i'm like oh i should be focusing more on environmental activism and and in thinking that part of me is like but then am i betraying not that i would start not that i would like start being racist or something like that just because i'm doing environmental activism but am i betraying other groups of other oppressed groups in not specifically helping these specific groups in like in order to then help what is like you know the global population this giant massive entity um i don't know i mean we talk all the time about how we can't be 100 focused on everything possible and it's just it's our responsibility to advocate for whatever it feels we might be the most effective at while not stepping on the necks of other oppressed groups or other social justice movements so i don't feel like you would be betraying that and I don't know, as far as even just shifting your, your messaging to maybe being more environmental, maybe it's 50% environment, 50% animals or something. You know, I, I always say that the only reason to care about the environment is because animals live within it, because life requires an environment to thrive. And that, yes, that does include humans, of course, as well. So even though there's some selfish motivation, I think that the environmental message can still be considered very much a part of animal advocacy because saving the environment means saving animals. And we can leverage the, you know, this general notion that, quote unquote, the capital V capital environment is a thing that's worth saving regardless of people ever kind of analyze why is this environment worth saving uh, I think that that is also not necessarily betraying the animals or even other social justice movements and you know knowing that climate change is going to affect the you know more marginalized uh, populations and, and locations around the world uh, significantly more and sooner than those of us who are much more privileged I think is sort of an extension can be can be an extension of your anti-racist work or anti-sexist work. Um, so I think that that's like sort of one way to look at it that, you know, helping the environment helps a lot of different folks around the world that really need that help and uh, don't necessarily have or aren't as empowered to fight back in the way that those of us who are more privileged could potentially be. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I was seeing some articles like that that were mentioning that none of them were really written super duper well, I thought, but yeah, I was definitely seeing, seeing some things that were saying, having those similar ideas. You know, it's interesting to me that there aren't more people fighting for climate change because I feel like there are many like, like ourselves, Andy, many privileged white males that, that, I, I hopefully unlike us, many of these people don't care about any of these issues because 
it doesn't affect them at all. And this mm-hmm. is an issue that that really does affect everyone. So I'm I'm almost surprised that there's not more that something has not been done about this sooner. If only for that fact. Yeah. Um I I really do not know. I do not but, know. But Andy, there is so, there is a group of people that are doing something about this. There's actually a group of young people who are who have been trying to sue the government since 2015 uh, in order for them to take action about about climate change. And I don't know, this this gave me a little bit of hope. It's just 21 young people. I think they were ages 11 to 22 that have basically since the Obama administration have been trying to force the federal government to take action about climate change. And the way that they're they're the, the, it seems like the way that they're kind of going about it is they're saying, like you're the ones that are that are screwing this over for us, the younger people that that at our age can't necessarily we're not the policymakers right now. We can't necessarily do anything about this, so we're suing you because, like you're you're going to leave us with when you're gone, you're going to be leaving us with with this really shitty situation, and yeah, it's been going on since 2015, and and consistently the White House has been trying to stop it from going to trial and i think it went to the supreme court and the supreme court was like no like a different court is going to decide this and all all along the way the white house has been trying to say like hey hey courts you need to throw this case out but it hasn't been thrown out yet and and i don't know It, it seems like they are still hopeful that it will go to trial but yeah it's this kind of unprecedented type of trial where there would be there would be legislation or, or there'd be rulings based on, you know, this idea of, of environmental security for youth. And it's something that has, and that's the reason why people are, that's the argument that the government is making to try to throw it out, to try to throw it out is they're saying like, oh, there's no, there's no basis for this. We've never done anything like this before, so we shouldn't do this, but I don't know, hopefully it goes to trial. And I don't know, I just wanted to throw in that story because it's cool that, there are all these young people trying to do something about this. Yeah, that that is heartening. Um, I guess in the face of recent Supreme Court appointees, it makes me still feel really like not hopeful. Mm-hmm. But you know, anything anything could happen. I'm glad that there are people that are still fighting the, fighting the good fight and um, inspiring me to to want to you know keep 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 on keeping on <laughs> doing the thing, doing the activism. And, and I think, Andy, the last thing the last thing I wanted to quickly throw in there was I found this article that was just like, what can you actually do about climate change? Your choices really do add up. This is from about a month ago. And number one, eat less meat. So keep uh, keep keep doing that. Hey, hey, listeners, keep doing that. The other things were... Vegans, eat even less meat than you already are. <laughs> you know, reusing, buying less plastic, composting food, using public transportation, hanging your laundry instead of drying it, and then... This last one, which is, I guess, should have made this episode last week, voting with climate change in mind. So everyone will have already voted by the time that you listen to this episode. But, you know, it's Andy, I definitely feel your 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 grief, especially because even in this article, the one that I was just pulling those suggestions from, it, it almost seems like part of the article says, oh, so much of this comes from your household consumption, so you really can make a difference. And then another part of it says, oh, well, 71% comes from these like giant companies. So there's really not much you could do about it. So it is kind of 
discouraging and confusing what our actual impact can be. But I don't know, I guess overall it's, it's better to do something about it than not do something about it. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm all about everyone changing their, their individual consumption patterns and, and ethics and all that, because I think that's a part of just sort of, you know, our responsibility as humans to live our ethics and, and, and do our best to not cause harm to others and the, the environment. But it, it also just kind of feels like, you know, things like the, the dairy industry getting these huge bailouts over and over again, despite the fact that can, you know, consumption of the, of dairy products is down every decade, every generation, whatever, just keeps going down. It's going out of style completely, uh, but they keep getting bailed out. And we think about our current administration in the United States. Um, and, you know, it feels like we're, we're fighting these incredibly regressive fights that we should, that should have already been won and we sh- should be moving on to new territory. But instead we have this administration that is 100% just about you know, uh, increasing profits for corporations and, and Trump increasing profits for himself. And it's really daunting. So I don't know, hopefully by the time this episode airs, we'll see some amount of, of change in our governmental, uh, leaders Mm -hmm. there. And maybe it'll be something to be slightly more enthusiastic about, but, um, until then, I guess the message is just keep, keep on fighting and, and maintain your hope that way. Even even maybe if it just feels symbolic, like it feels like we should be doing something rather than nothing. So I'll agree with that. I'll suspend my nihilism for for this week. I feel like I didn't do a great job at cheering you up, Andy, but maybe some listeners out there can do a better job of cheering you up. If you have any suggestions about how to make Andy happy, please email them in to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. We'd love to hear about your opinions about all this stuff, what we can do in the face of this daunting terror that is slowly encroaching upon us. So let us know what you think. And yes, please, please help us. Yeah. Or just send us photos of like your dog. Yeah. That would also be nice. So Andy, (laughs) what do you got coming up? Well, once again, this weekend, November 10th, Atlanta VegFest, we're doing that live podcast at 10.30 in the morning. It's going to be a fun time, so come on out to that. Uh, November 18th, I'll be at the Space Coast VegFest in Cocoa, Florida. And those are my last two VegFests for the year. So I got a couple things booked for 2019 already. Um, you can get the links to these events and anything in the future at Compassion Co. It's CompassionCO.com. Paul. Yes, Andy. For... As much as I feel nihilistic about this whole thing and just sort of hopeless, something that does make me feel better is if I if I go out into the woods, no one's around, I I look up into the heavens, shake my fist, and scream the following seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. So I, yeah, so I would say I would I would take a gander. No, that's the wrong expression. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, fuck my uh, my great pun totally threw off my thought process. There. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andy, let's move on into this main discussion. I really need to pee. I'm gonna go pee. I'll be right back. Um, it's gonna take one second. I'm doing okay. the pee dance and it's making the chair squeak. I'll be right back, Andy. I love you. Okay, bye bye. <laughs>
I need a Paul peeing song that I sing. Paul Steller's peeing. Right now, Paul Steller's peeing. No, that doesn't work. Uh, here I am just uh, talking to myself, trying to fill the void. <laughs>